You know, it, it was almost like I leaned over to Travis and I said, do you know what I'm preaching this morning? Because the song before this, Rachel, it, it was like you guys had been reading my notes because he'll open your eyes. Thank you for being led by the Holy Spirit. I leaned over and I said, wow, it's like you're preaching my sermon. We can go home. We can go eat. Are you ready for today? High five somebody and tell them, say, get ready. This is your moment. Come on, give him one more praise across his house. Fantastic, fantastic. Man, I feel the presence of God. Hang on just a second to do something right here. <laughs> you look scared to death. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm ready, man. I'm so ready for to see what God wants to do. Trav, I love you so much. We are brothers for life, have been for 15, going on 20 years. Travis is a whole lot older than me. And... Um, Y'all don't even realize how old he is, but I'll tell you if you come talk to me about it. Oh, I feel like I'm at home today. So that means we get to have church to at least 2 o'clock. Is that all right? And so uh, I, I've got to share a word uh, in just a moment, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance uh, to pick up the, the brand-new book, Rebuilding the Altar, Karen and I wrote this together, went through a war while writing it, still in a battle. I had a prophetic voice call us last night, a pastor uh, that's about 80 years old from North Dakota, called us at about 5 o'clock yesterday and said, I have a word for you. This is why the attack has gone on, physical attack, cancer, a whole bunch of stuff that's coming at our home. Listen, if you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you flow with him. And I have learned that sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. In church, I say this all the time, but I want to get to heaven with nothing left to do. And I want to encourage you because we just wrote a new series that goes along with this book called Restoring Your Home. How many of you know it's time for our houses to be restored? And so we put together this whole series, Karen and I did, on how to take back your family. And if you'll stop by the table out there this morning and grab the new book, Rebuilding the Altar, it's sweeping the world right now. Uh, so many stories in there about how we took back our family, how I had to fight for our son. Listen, the enemy wants your seed. He wants your righteous seed. And a lot of people think that when we wrote Rebuilding the Altar that it's all about having a wooden altar. How many of you know Jesus became the altar? You don't have to have a wooden altar. I love it because our goal is to put 10,000 in homes around America and parks and, and universities. In just a couple of weeks, I'm taking uh, to Nebraska one of these altars to place at a university because it's time for a generation to have an encounter with God. And the altar is just the doorway. That's all it is. It's just an invitation. But I can't tell you how many times over the last few months we've fallen at our altar and I'm going to share a little bit of that this morning. In our house, we have an altar, a place. People message us and say, how do I have an altar? An altar can be in your car. It can be in your gym. It can, be, it can be on the treadmill. You need an altar on the treadmill. I know I do. Or at least a Snickers bar hanging in front of it to run towards. But I got to get into God's Word this morning. But if you get a chance, step back there, grab that. And by the way, if you order things on Amazon, go on Amazon and order it because uh, Karen and I, you can find the link on our Instagram at Pat Schatz or Karen Schatz. And Karen and I, our personal goal is to overthrow 50 shades of gray. And it really is to show the world that God is moving and we don't have to buy perversion. But, but grab, grab your Bibles this morning. I, I want you to look at Luke chapter 24, and I'll get there in just a moment. But I, I've got to share something, and I want to warn you because contents of this message is harmful to your flesh. 
it's going to demand a response in just a moment. And again, I cannot even brag on, on the worship team enough because they had no clue of what I was preaching on. But even as I was praying early this morning and received a text from Pastor Travis about what he was reading for his devotions and faith and seeing miracles. And people ask me all the time, am I word of faith? Are, are you name it, claim it? I say, no, I'm, I'm not name it, claim it. I'm shout it and grab it. Because I am tired of us not understanding how good our Father is. Realizing how great our Father is. I think sometimes some of the reports I get in the altar from people is, you know, I, I got sick. God wanted me to be sick. He gave me this disease. And I want to look at him and say, you know, if I treated my kids like you say God treats his kids, I would get arrested. Instead of understanding that you can break an orphan spirit, that you can walk in the supernatural blessing of God. If you believe what I'm talking about, give him a praise. Amen. Because I'm, I'm going to get real this morning. But there's one thing. And I have to be careful because I'll get quite weepy. I'm reminded of Richard Baxter of Kittermeister who, say, who made the statement, I preached this never to preach again as a dying man to dying men. When I was on my knees a moment ago, I said, Lord, I want to preach as a dying man to dying men. There's one thing that will bring you to the place of change, the place that changes everything, that shifts everything. And I've had a great deal of it in the last year for whatever reason from, from that season where God is saying, I need this out of you, Pat. i got to change this in you, Pat. I'm trying to, yeah, you're asking me for the nations. You're asking me for miracles. You're asking to see families set free. Then I need to get some stuff out of you. Can I preach from a chapter in the new book, Rebuilding the Altar? It's the third chapter, and it's simply called The Road to Brokenness. Understanding it is at the end of yourself is the beginning of God. Now, this is going to attack a terrace called lethargy. Because I've learned that when you lose your purpose, you embrace passivity. And some of you, God has been saying, it's time to get going. It's time to explode this house. And I started to say it a few minutes ago when I was sharing before the offering. But driving here this morning, the Lord said, do they not realize the seeds that have been poured into this house? Do they not understand the well that has been dug? The years and years worth of prayer that has covered this floor. The years and years of vision of what God is saying I want to do in Oklahoma City. I want to pour my spirit out in Oklahoma City. And I want to use this place. Do you believe what I'm preaching this morning? Because in a moment, the spirit of God is going to walk in here. And I want to warn you to brace yourself. Put on your seatbelt because when he walks in, you're going to feel his presence and it's going to happen in just a moment. I just need to warn you because I don't know about you, but I'm finding myself increasingly frustrated. And I've learned that frustration and agitation are the mother of intercession. God will frustrate you because you were not called to be normal. I'm reminded of what it says in Romans 8, chapter, for creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and brought into the glorious freedom of God. In other words, God is the one that will frustrate you because he has to bring you to that place. It's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 3, that frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. In other words, God has to make you or allow you to come to a place where you go, there's got to be more. Now, this is going to be one of those heavy kind of messages. But what you have to understand is, I got to speak to those that have been crying out at night for more. 
those that have been saying, God, I have to have an answer. Lord, what's going on? It's those that understand the Romans 10, verse 13 mantra. How can they go unless they're sent? How can they believe in the one who they've called if they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? There's that moment where you begin to realize this is your now. This is the moment where God has been waiting on you. But what if I told you there was a place that would change everything? A place where you show up empty but you leave full. What if I told you there was a place that you could arrive in the middle of your house, in the middle of your car, in the middle of your neighborhood, on your front porch, in a prison, in a strip club? What if I told you that there's a place called the altar where it transforms everything? You know, we come to the altar when, we, when they dedicate us, and we come to the altar when we get married, and then they bring our casket by the altar when we die. Why don't we visit every now and then, and the altar can be right in the middle of your house. Are you getting this so far? Because I'm going to preach about the road to brokenness in just a moment, the place that changes everything, the place that shifts you on the inside. When all of a sudden you begin to have encounters with him, what if I told you there was a place just past your tears, just past your grief, just past your pain, where God says, let me shift you. Now, see, what you have to understand is, Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he began this practice with his disciples. The modern-day term for it would be peekaboo. How many of you ever played peekaboo? Now, listen, I I have two grandsons, Jackson and Anderson, and I FaceTime with them nearly every single night. And I can be in a restaurant. I can be sitting on a flight. I can be sitting anywhere, and it doesn't matter where I'm at. When Jack comes on there, I begin to scream. He begins to scream, and it makes everyone around he and I feel awkward. We just both go, ah! And it makes his parents mad, which really fires me up. I'll say, Jack, scream louder. And I'll say things to him like, because they're in California, Nate's a youth pastor out in Modesto, California, and he and Adrian are leading a movement out there of a couple thousand kids. And and I'll say say to Jack, I'll say, Jack, your dad's going to take you to the park today. And Nate will go, Dad, why do you tell him stuff like that? Because I can. Because I still pay for things. But Jack and I love to play peekaboo. I mean, I don't care where I'm at. I don't, when you become a grandparent, you just lose your care. You don't care. And so sometimes I'll be playing peekaboo with Jack. I'll say, Jack, and I'll do like this, and we'll be on FaceTime, and I'll go, peekaboo, and he just giggles, and he does it back to me, and then we start screaming. But do you know why you play peekaboo with your kids? The reason why you played peekaboo with your kids was to teach them that even though they cannot see you, they were still there, that you're still there. Do you know that Jesus did this from resurrection on? He would pop in and pop out, pop in and pop out. Can I give you what I believe is the greatest altar call after the cross? Because I want to share about this, and we wrote about it in the book, because it's my favorite altar call. And amazingly, it didn't happen in a cathedral. It didn't happen in some huge church. It happened at a kitchen table. Have you ever needed God to invade your house? I'm reminded when we began to write the book, Rebuilding the Altar, a year ago, 
uh, October, immediately we came under attack. Some of you heard this. I lost my voice. My daughter, Abigail, began to lose her hearing. So when I showed a picture of a little girl being healed of deafness last Sunday morning, there's a reason for that. Because I'm going to brag about that miracle until my daughter gets hers. It's, it's deliberate. Because even driving here from Fort Worth yesterday, I'm driving down the road and I'm just praying. And I said, God, if you can heal that beautiful little baby named Peyton, you can heal my Abby. But as we begin to see the attack come, the moment, whether it was email or Facebook from keyboard commandos or people t- calling me and saying, you're going to go broke if you write a book like that. You're gonna, your calendar is going to cancel. Let me just tell you something. We just moved 20 churches into 2019 because of the move of God. So as people are speaking against you, you might be doing something right. But as God began to speak to us, and then the attack came, we moved our whole ministry to Fort Worth to make it easier for travel. And, and I'll never forget, we moved into a rental house because we're still looking for a house to buy. And, and man, our family came under attack. And finances, there was like holes in the pocket. We're like, what is going on? And at one point, early one morning, I said to Karen after my prayer time, I said, maybe somewhere along the way we've lost favor. Have you ever felt that way? I'm getting real, real, real with you. And I went up and I began to write this article called The Spirit of Delay. In other words, it's all through God's word. Paul said to the Thessalonican church that he said, I wanted to get you to you, but the enemy delayed me. Daniel chapter 10. We heard your prayer on the first day, but the enemy's been fighting you for 21 days, Daniel. Spirit of delay. In other words, God will tell you to do something, but the enemy will throw as many roadblocks as he can to try to stop it, but he cannot stop God's plan. So I wrote this whole article on the spirit of delay because two different prophetic voices said, Pat, there's a spirit of delay on your life. That night, we've been under attack. All of a sudden, we start to go to bed. This is just in September. And Karen, I lock all the doors. We're in a rental house, a rental house that, that uh, we didn't know that when we rented the house there in Fort Worth that the man was filing bankruptcy and we all this crazy stuff, people knocking on our door every day from lawyers, all this stuff, and we're like, what in the world? And, and all of a sudden, Karen has to go through and relock the doors after me because I've already locked them, but she needs to make sure. Drives me crazy. One time I forgot. That's it. One, and, and, anyway once but I went to get in bed and Karen is going through and we have a Yorkie I believe Yorkies guard the gates of hell and we have a little Yorkie she barks when she's not supposed to but if there's somebody breaking in she says hey come on in and but our Yorkie had been sitting in front of the front door and I'm telling you this for a reason because I've come to talk to everybody that's been under attack And all of a sudden, our Yorkie for days had been sitting at the front door just barking, driving us crazy. And Karen goes to lock the door that night, and all of a sudden, she sees a shadow on the front porch. And the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to her. I'm already in bed. And on the front porch is a shadow of a businessman with a hat, suit, briefcase, and with his hand held out like this. She came into the bedroom. She said, Pat, I know what's going on. She said, we're being attacked by the spirit of bankruptcy. I had never heard of that. And, and we don't call everything a spirit. Because that will just make you weird. And I said, what? She said, think about it. Our time, our finances, our health, everything's under attack. 
She said, I need to tell you what I just saw on the front porch. I saw a shadow of a man with his hand held out. And I said, well, let's pray. So we began to pray, and it broke. Instantly began to break. Miracles began to happen. Finances, all kinds of stuff. A couple of weeks later, some young people came to our house that are planning a church in Fort Worth, and we're telling them the story. They actually came to our house to use our altar just to have prayer time. They came back a few weeks later because our house has food. So about 50 of them came over for Thanksgiving. And they're at our, our new home we just moved into. And they said, can we meet you? Can we talk to you? So I took them back into my office, into my prayer room. And all of a sudden, they said, we need to tell you. The shadow. Remember the shadow Pastor Karen saw? I said, yeah. They said, they said we, need to, we need to show you something. We've just, we're all working downtown in Fort Worth. And downtown Fort Worth, there's a statue, a, a, a 50-foot statue of a man, of a businessman. And it's called the Empty Businessman. And it's up over the city of Fort Worth. And they said, is this what you saw on the front porch? And Karen went, oh, dear God. That's exactly what I saw. She said the spirit of the area had come to visit our house to make payment. And we we denounced that thing. And that thing had to go. But church, there's an understanding that some of you don't realize you've been under attack lately. And you don't realize that the enemy is fighting you for what God has for you. Give him a praise. And very quickly, if you just let me share this just for a couple of minutes, I've got to share about my favorite altar call in the Bible. About a couple of guys that were done. They were burnt out. They had given everything to the call of God. But the Bible says this in Luke chapter 24 verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open. We just sang that 15 minutes ago. Maybe 20. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he played peekaboo. He disappeared from their sight. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I've got to preach about the road to brokenness for just a minute. We're not going to do the video. See, because church, maybe you don't understand. There is a moment where you come to the road of emancipation. The place where God has been trying to free you and take you to another level. Why are we seeing these outpourings in Miami and North Carolina and about to go back our fourth time to North Carolina and and all these moves of God we've been seeing? I'll tell you why. Because towards the end of last year, I literally on my knees in my prayer room said, I'm done. You got to do this. I've learned that when you want it, you don't get it. But when you don't want it, God says, watch me bless you. Because there can't, it can't be about you anymore. It's that moment where you get out of the mirror of self-depreciation and look out the window of the harvest and begin to realize it's about the lost. It's about the hurting. There is a, I believe this with all my heart, and I said this on a national prayer call with some very, very uh, influential government people. I said America is in a commercial in the horror film right now. This is the season of harvest. We're about to see the outbreak of God, and we are hearing about it. Come on, give him a praise. That means your lost family's coming home. This is the year. What God spoke to Karen and I at the beginning of the year. This is the year of the prodigal awakening. But I found that when you're really close to getting free, you're even closer to giving up. Here's the background. Jesus had died. Three days have passed. 
The disciples are now in hiding. Their pictures are up in the post office as most wanted. They had joined on to this radical band of marauders who were spreading this new gospel. The Romans hated them. The Jews hated them. They were people without a country, and they are in hiding. And now Jesus has been dead for, for three days, and they do not know what's going to happen to their life. you got to remember, just 3.5 years earlier, just three and a half years early, they were just doing life. They were just good Jews. They were fishing. They owned businesses. They owned conglomerates. Peter was a wealthy fisherman. You have to understand, the disciples were, were, were just somewhere. They were just going about life, and then Jesus interrupted them with a whisper to some of them, such as, because I've learned the, the whisper of God is his compass. Just ask Elijah. And all of a sudden, Jesus walked up and said, Something radical like drop your nets and follow me. And they did it. And they saw miracle after miracle. They saw all this stuff. But now he has abandoned them. You know what I've learned? The mundane can be the seductress for the supernatural. I'm going to say that again. The mundane can be the seductress for the supernatural because some of you are just doing life and God's saying there's more. There's more. I've called you to do things like you've never imagined. It's the young man that walked up to me about five weeks ago in Tampa, and he said, a year ago when you were here, uh, you told me, by the time you came, next time, all my scars would be gone. He's a cutter. He had cut himself over 100 times all over his body. And he said, I woke up this morning and said, that preacher's a liar. He said, I came to service. And he said, while you were preaching, I had even taken pictures to show you you were a liar. He said, but then I came to service, and all of a sudden, as you began to preach, every scar on my body disappeared. See, I serve a supernatural God. Give my God a praise. I don't want the mundane. Now, here's the situation. Jesus has been dead for three days, and suddenly there's two disciples walking down a road. In fact, you have to understand, they were on a place called Emmaus, which means warm springs. In other words, they were done. They were out. They were done with ministry. They were going on vacation. And one of them's name is Cleopas, who is actually the brother of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. These two men are walking down the road. They're in hiding. They're on a seven-mile journey, and they're complaining and talking to each other. And Luke 24, 13 says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Can I just stop right there and say something to you? You better know who you're walking with. I'm not talking about the difference in church friends and work friends because we're all good at compartmentalizing. You better know who's walking with you when you need a miracle. You better know who's walking with you when you need God to touch your life. You better know who can come into agreement, Matthew chapter 18, with you. Because Amos even says, how can two agree to walk together? Or how can two walk, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? There is a moment where you better know who is with you. Show me your friends. I'll show your future. There are only a few people that I can count on a couple of hands that I can call at any moment. And some of them are in this room. And say, pray with us. We're in a war. 
I have decided there is a moment where you have to rise up and find out who you're walking with. And the older you get and the more you walk into things of God, the smaller that crowd gets because you'll be like the disciples. There was three levels of disciples. I want to be the crew that gets to show up on the mount. I want to be the crew that sits closest to him in the garden. I want to be the, are you getting this? Because misery loves comfort and gossipers love lamb's meat and visionaries usually walk alone. but you better know who you're walking with. And can I just say something else to you? Never negotiate your anointing away because you don't think God is close. I'm going to say that again. Never negotiate the anointing on your life away because you don't think God is close by. You don't think I had to do that three weeks ago when the doctor came, uh, four, six weeks ago, a doctor's report came to Karen that she needed to go to a rheumatologist and then she needed to go get her, to, to get her hemoglobin checked, all this stuff, and they began to describe all these diseases that were in her body. The first thing we did is we walked into our bedroom. When we got off that doctor's report, we fell in our, at our little altar in our bedroom and we said, we command every word spoken by that doctor to be broken and one after the other. We've gone to the doctors and it's come back negative negative, negative, because there's a moment where you say, no, if I seem intense, it's because I will see 100,000 souls saved this year. Whether it's renting a hotel in San Jose that we're doing in August in San Come Out City or Portland or Seattle, there's a moment where you begin to step into the next But there's also a moment where you're interrupted by freedom. And I'll hurry. Because these two are walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus interrupts them. Look what it says in Luke. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Has your intensity, your storm been so strong you can't see him in the midst? It's an understanding that sometimes your issue is blinding your deliverance. How do I know such a thing? Oh, listen to me, church. There is a moment where you begin to realize he was there the whole time. Look what it says in Luke 24, verse 17. He asked them. This is so cool because Jesus is, he's so hip. Now watch. Jesus walks up to them and says, hey. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas, who was his uncle, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in, the, in, these, in these days? Look what it goes on to say. And that Jesus is so cool that all of a sudden he goes, what things? I bet he did it like this with like the holes in his arm. What things? Yeah. What you talking about as the wind's whistling through the holes in his body? What things? He asked. 
Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. Church, listen to me. You, there is a moment where you must confront that lie that the enemy has been attacking you with and take your test into a testimony. That sounds cliche-ish, but it is the truth. That moment where you'd say, I'm going to live somewhere between amen and there it is. I text Karen sitting on the front row just now because of, uh, of this thing that attacked her this week. And I said to her, let's come into agreement for this, 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 and this, this week. Miracles. Every time we come into agreement, we have them happen. It's the craziest thing. And if it doesn't happen, I'll walk to the front porch and say, angels who, who are sent to serve those who inherit salvation, you bring that thing. See, there's a moment where you begin to realize he hasn't gone anywhere. He's just waiting how you're going to respond. He's just waiting to see if you're going to step into what he's called you to. And I love what it goes on to say in Luke 24, verse 20. And the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. They went past tense on him, past part of the simple tense right here. They said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and what is more, it's been three days. Can you see this? Worry is not intercession, it's intermission. It's when you begin to praise. It's when you begin to say, God, you got this thing. Now they're doubting the promises of God. It goes on to say in verse 22 through 24, in fact, some, some women went to the tomb this morning and all we saw were, all they saw were angels. I mean, that's enough. I'd have wrote a book on it. Yep, angels were there, but no Jesus. I'll never forget, years ago, I was speaking in New Zealand in a big uh, Planet Shakers type conference there that was going on and I began to preach on the reign of God in this massive sanctuary all of a sudden, it began to rain in the building. It's happened to me twice. At the end of the service, they took us up to the pastor's office, which was upstairs, and I'm sitting in this, in this couch, and all of a sudden, a lady comes running in, and she's white as a ghost, and she walks in, and she hands me a picture that was taken during the service. She had blown it up, and there's angels' faces all over the sanctuary. It was one of the coolest moments. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't want to see an angel's face. I want to see him. I want to see him. Angels are jealous of your worship. What you got to do a few minutes ago during worship, which some of us thought it was good enough to stand up for, which some of us thought it was good enough to kneel down for, and then some of us thought it's good enough for me to just cross my arms and ignore. Oh, now I'm getting in your stuff. I told you you're going to get mad. But I am so sick of going to churches where I look down the row and I see dad standing like this during worship and I follow down and I find his teenage son standing just like that. Can I tell you, I have seen in the last year tens of thousands. I watched as, an, as a seven-year-old little girl last Saturday night uh, get, suddenly get filled with the Holy Ghost right after a demon-possessed woman came up in the middle of Karen's sermon began to curse her. At the same spot, a seven-year-old girl came up and began to pray in tongues and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, this generation is not afraid of the supernatural. It's my generation. Those of us that are 48, 50, 55, that are sitting back saying, God can't do that ever again. Can I tell you something? He'll move past you. He'll bypass you. He'll pour it out on your kids or your grandkids if you ignore it. Because God is saying, I want to awaken a generation. And if it means that we have to let dad turn into a tombstone, I'll turn it into a milestone. God says, I'm looking for somebody that is bold enough to stand up early in the morning and worship and wake your kids up with praise. Let your praise be your kid's alarm clock.
Well, you sound super holy, Pat. No! Super dependent on him. Much more had been three days. Had they forgotten? Luke chapter 2, 19. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Matthew 20, verse 19. On the third day, he will be raised from the dead. They had just experienced the greatest altar call in history. And now we're doubting. Jesus became the lamb, led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53. He became the Hebrews 13 lamb that became the altar. Do you understand? They had just experienced that. And now, just three days after the crucifixion, they are doubting it. I love what uh, Kenneth Hagin said. He said, feed your faith, starve your doubt. There's a moment where you begin to shift. And I'm about to close. But I want to say this to you. Your wavering is causing wandering. I turned around to Pastor Travis in the middle of worship because he's my brother for life. And I said, do you still believe God can pour out his spirit here? And he said, absolutely. Because I was driving here this morning and the spirit of the Lord said, I can pour out my spirit here. And you don't even know what's going on in heaven right now. Those that are lifting their hands and saying, pour out your glory. The Bible says, he goes on to say in Luke 24, can I just say stop wavering between two opinions? That's exactly why Elijah stood before the people in 1 Kings 18. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. And they said nothing. And then he built the altar. The spirit of Elijah is to tear down Jezebel, rebuild the altar, and anoint the next generation. Malachi said 4.6. Malachi 4.6 says, if we don't have the spirit of Elijah come, the land will be cursed. If you'd have told me two years ago, you're going to take altars all over America. You should try to get this through customs in Brazil. I'm serious. But there's a moment where you begin to realize. The Bible says in Luke 24, he looked at them and he said, How foolish are you and how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus literally walked through the entire Old Testament with them as they're walking along. About a two and a half hour journey. Can I just say this? Your wavering is causing wandering. To ask Jesus to marry a bipolar bride is to ask him to love someone that believes the relationship is dictated by the right circumstances. He's not a fair weather friend. Remember, being fair weather is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. What you got to understand is God is saying, wake up to my presence. The mundane can be the seductress for the supernatural. I want every breath to count towards him. James 5 tells us or James 4. I love the message Bible. It says you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, and you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose that God doesn't care? The proverb has it, he is a fiercely jealous lover. This is it. I'm going to move on. Don't leave without him. This is the coolest moment in the Bible right here. This is a really cool moment. I love it. Bible says they approached the village, Luke 24, to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, 
stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. I love this right here. I'm giving you a little bit of an instruction as we close. Stop having church without Jesus. Stop doing life without him. Sometimes we miss the moment so incredibly that he just keeps going. I think I've spent half my life watching Jesus keep going. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to catch up with you. But they did something so powerful right here. Jesus is walking along. The disciples are walking. It's getting dark. They've arrived at their road, their block to their neighborhood. And as they start going that way, Jesus starts going this way. And all of a sudden, two disciples said, hey, hey, please stay. Karen writes in the book about a prophetic vision she had. We had been on the road for two weeks as an evangelist in 1997. Went to a church, and God began to move, and pastor asked us to stay the next week, and we were really excited because we had no place to go the next week. The next week, we started having this outpouring of God again, and on Sunday morning, Karen, it's before she began to have prophetic visions and dreams, and in the middle of worship, worship is going on, and at this church, second week of revival. I was worried because I only had about four sermons. And all of a sudden, in the middle of worship, Karen shuts her eyes and she sees a giant white horse with a, with a warrior on it riding towards the church. She had not had a lot of prophetic dreams or visions at that point. And the warrior had his face painted like a warrior. And he's riding towards the church like this. And his worship would get intense. The horse would speed up. His worship would go into a lull. People would start thinking about lunch and what we got to do after service and all that stuff. He, the horse would slow down. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God. He draws near to you. And Karen goes on to tell the story in the book that all of a sudden it looked as if the horse was coming through the back door. But worship stopped, took the offering, which is worship, and it's important, it's critical. And the rider on the horse, you know, the Bible says, never be lacking in zeal, but put on spiritual fervor. Spiritual fervor literally means to paint your face as a warrior and ride into battle screaming. But all of a sudden, the horse kicked back in the vision. And this was messing her up because she was young at that time uh, in the sense of even spiritually. We had a toddler, five-year-old rather. She had not stepped into her anointing. Now she does the breathing room every week to 20,000 women online and all this other stuff and her book, Dehydrated, all that stuff. This is all before all that. And so she says she's sitting there and getting messed up by the Lord, and all of a sudden she sees the horse turn and go the other direction. And at the end of service, we're riding home that day. Pastor got up, took the offering. I preached, all that kind of stuff. She said, can I tell you what happened? And I said, sure. She starts telling me this story. I'm like, this is coming out of Sister Meekness. She said, Pat, if, we, if we'd have just held on, he'd have showed up. How often have we gotten to the point of breakthrough, but we're like, well, God's forgotten me. 
the end of yourself is the beginning of God. And the Bible says that all of a sudden they said, please stay. I double dog dare one person to stand up in this room right now and simply yell out, please stay. And when you do, the presence of God is going to hit this building. I look for, I'm looking for one person that's bold enough to radically stand up in this room because the Bible said at the moment they said, please stay, he turned and went and sat down with him. Oh, you're not getting this yet because the altar of brokenness, what'd you say? Stay standing when you do it. Somebody else. No, come on, somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else say, come on. Somebody else, come on, give me a man that'll do it. Give me a teenager that'll do it. Give me a child that'll do it. You. Louder. Louder. See, I've never gone through something where I didn't come out either bitter or better, where God either took what I was walking through and changed me. You say it, Terry. Yeah. Please stay. And the Bible says he went in and sat down at the table. And he took the bread. And the Bible says when he broke it. Psalms 51 says the brokenness, the sacrifices of God. It's a broken spirit. The Bible says at the moment he broke the bread, their eyes were open, and they realized it was him the whole time. And he disappeared. And they said, did not our hearts burn when he was talking to us? What you're dismissing is indigestion is the Holy Spirit saying, I'm trying to ignite a fire in you. Jesus is gone. They get up and they take off running. And they ran to the upper room where the disciples were in hiding. No one knew the password. It's a special knock to get in because they were hiding from Rome. Who had already spread the rumor that somebody had stolen Jesus' body. And to this day that rumor exists. Just go to Israel. They'll tell you that. And they burst through the door and they said in Luke 21, Hey, he's alive. We saw him. In fact, when he broke the bread, we saw him. It's at that moment of brokenness that you see God again. This isn't popular preaching. He's not a part-time God. He's a full-time Savior. You say, well, why do you talk about brokenness? Because you say, well, Jesus never really wept and stuff, really. <laughs> Bible says in Hebrews that he wept every day. Bible says he records my lament. And this is what I've come to tell you. And I know I'm out of time. I know. I'm going to ask God to move across this room great thing is I don't have to catch a flight. I get to drive now.
It's only three hours to Fort Worth. What if in the next couple of minutes, those of you that have been hardened, if you're not standing, go ahead and stand with me if you physically can. The Spirit of the Lord is moving, and I want someone else to scream out, to cry out, excuse me, cry out, please stay, please stay, please stay. And the Holy Ghost is going to hit the room right now. Please stay. Come on louder. Please stay. Please stay. Tell them, please stay. Tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. Tell them, Trav. Please stay. Please stay. Have we gotten so good at doing church that if he showed up, it would just mess everything up? Maybe you don't realize it. Look at me for a second. The Bible says, and get ready, because when I break this bread, that's your invitation to the altar. Every single person in this room to come down here for just a couple of minutes. A place of encounter, a chance encounter. Maybe somewhere along the way, when you said, somebody else say, please stay, please. Just do that real quick. Louder. Please stay. I need to warn you because what you're praying right there, the next 24 hours is going to be encounters with God. In the middle of the night, you're going to feel him walking through your house. He's going to wake you up. Some of you have been getting woke up at 3.13 in the morning, 3.16 in the morning. You don't understand it. That's your God number. Ah. But he's been walking through your house trying to wake you up at 4.14, at 5.17. You don't understand it. And he's saying, if you'll get up and spend time with me, I'll talk to you. I'll share things you've never even imagined. I'll give you the secret to take back your kids, your family, your grandchildren. He's saying, but you're going to have to walk into your house today and say, please stay. You're going to have to go to your front porch and say, please stay. The balcony of your apartment and say, please stay. There's a moment where you say, please stay. So I'm going to break the breast. And when I break this bread, that's your altar experience call. Psalms 118 verse 27 says, tie me to the horns of the altar. This whole thing started with one man at a board meeting. Mike and Starla were at when he said to me, God wants to tie you to the altar. It started right there and it messed me up for the next three months. Are you ready? I'm looking for somebody at the moment I break this bread to come to this altar and not give a rip about what anybody thinks. I'm looking for somebody that'll say, I've had enough of doing normal. When I break this bread, find your way down here. Are you ready? Because the, the Bible says when he broke the bread, their eyes were open because he was the broken body for me. chairs come 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 on dad come on teenager come on young adult come on millennial somebody say please stay oh I feel your glory God oh I feel you Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. Please stay. Do it again, Trav. Oh, Trav, I can't hear you. I want to hear the cry. I want to hear the cry of where you've been at lately, up there in that prayer room or in your home. Louder. Please stay. 
thing about open my eyes today no clue what I was preaching it's in the breaking that your eyes are open and you see he was there the whole time with every eye shut across this room are you willing to say change me first God Sing that for a second. We got to do that. Yeah, yeah. Open my eyes, Lord. Search me inside. Jesus, I can't live without your presence. I No matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, he'll stay. He'll stay. And all over this room, God says, I want to cleanse hearts and I want to remove cataracts off your eyes. And over the next minute, God's going to do spiritual surgery on your life to restore. You've been burning on the inside, you just didn't know it. That stirring, that uncomfortableness, that anxiousness, that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, man. It doesn't happen to me every day, but it happens a lot. And all over this room, God says, I'm looking for a complete, reckless abandonment to Him. If you say, Pat, I need God to change me. I need God to wash me. I need God to restore me. I would probably guess that everybody in this room just about has already prayed, God, forgive me. He's already done that. Grace is a powerful thing.
But at the same time, the devil can't make you sin. He just makes you busy. And at the end of your life, when you're laying there, I want to be able to look up at my family and say, the greatest thing I ever did in my life was say, please stay. Restoring his presence. And all over this room, shut your eyes for just a moment. If you say, Pat, I have things in my life that have helped me back. I've got sin in my life that is, that is, that is snuck in. I've got lethargy. I've got all this stuff in my life, and I want God to change me. I want God to forgive me. And if you're in this room right now and you say, I need God to restore and wash over me, if that is you, if you've made some mistakes, and we all have, I can't throw stones at anybody because I just cracked my own windows. But I can tell you, that he loves you so much, he keeps whispering, come on back, 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 come on back to me, come on back to righteousness, come back to holiness, come back to purity. All through God's word, Jesus was the righteous seed, and righteousness is always tied to giving. So if you righteously give your heart to God, he will do a radical miracle in your life right now. But here's what I want you to do. What's your prayer today? Two things. Forgive me, please stay. There's your, there's your prayer. That's what I'm leading you in. Who's the first one to lift their hands out loud and say, forgive me, God? Come on, do it bold. Who cares what anybody thinks? Forgive me, God. Forgive Pat. Now, here's the big one. All hands raised and cry out. And some of you are going to get filled with the Holy Ghost again. He's going to give you a new prayer language. Some of you are going to feel healing hit your body. You're going to feel God restore your body right now. The presence of God is going to shoot through you and restore you and heal you. He still does that. I see it every week. And right now, when you say this next term, please stay. When you say, please stay, God is going to step into your home and interrupt your life. And it's going to be God interruptions. When I count to three, scream out across this room, please stay. One. Two. Come on. Come on. No matter who's walked out on you, he won't. No matter what you've been through, he's right there. When I say three, cry out, please stay as one body, one mind, in the unity of Christ. You ready? One, two, three. Scream it. Oh, I can't live without you. Come on, begin to pray in the Holy Ghost all over this room. Come on, because God is moving. He's moving. He's moving. He's moving right now. Please stay with my kids. Please stay with my business. Please stay with my body. Just say it. I can't live without your presence. 